You're listening to. Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and all things modern culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang, and thank you so much for tuning in for this week's bonus episode of First of All. This is me doing my very best to make up for the fact that I took two weeks off. I took an impromptu sabbatical from first of all because I was inundated and overwhelmed preparing for Collaboration Star, which is our showcase that we put on every year. Um, It was our showcase and end of the year fundraiser and celebration. And this year was it was a doozy, okay? Uh, so I needed I needed to take my space and focus on my job. Uh, that's not even my job anymore. I'm just doing it because I love collab and I love the community. Um, but in light of that, not only did I skip some episodes, but I had some very important lessons learned from this. I guess the best way to put it is I would call it a successful disaster. Uh, the event itself was a huge success thanks to so many elements coming together uh, the day of. But... As a producer and as a creative and just a human being that is dealing with the ups and downs of life and preparing and executing a project, which is pretty much every person out there, I imagine, I had some insights and some lessons learned that I thought could be useful to the universe out there. I've had a lot of different people ask me about my career as an actor, um, as a creative person, someone who's creating a podcast and things like that, but definitely as a producer um, because I think that word producer basically is equivalent to project manager and somebody who takes an idea and executes on it. So, um, yeah, I thought this would be a good time for me to be able to regroup and reflect on all that went down the last couple of weeks and synthesize it into learning lessons that hopefully will be helpful to you as you move forward in your professional career. And honestly, again, because I take it meta like this, it applies to everything. Life is a matter of ideating and executing. Feedback loop, do it again. <laughs> so this is my bonus episode. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. I'm very, I'm very tempted to call it like when it hits the fan with Minji Chang. I don't know. What should we call it? What should we call it, fam? But here we go. These are lessons learned uh, in producing Collaboration Star 2019. As you all know, at this point, if you're new to the podcast, you're learning this in the first two minutes of my intro, that I am a live event producer. I have been producing events since high school. I started with sophomore campaigning and then with homecoming and with prom and all the dances in between and all the fundraisers and pizza nights and sushi nights and froyo nights and XYZ. I've been doing this for a very long time and I'm very much motivated in showing people a good time, having people feel like they are part of something great and uh, creating space where everyone just feels alive and grateful to be there. Um, And in doing that, there's a lot of moving parts and, um, there's two, I think there's two categories that I can kind of bucket 
these lessons into that hopefully will be concrete enough for anybody to walk away with something meaningful. Category one is pre-production. And two, because this is kind of the theme of this episode, is two, what happens when things go crazy? Okay? It's not just executing. I want to talk about when things go wrong. You know why? Because they probably will. It is good to have a plan. It is important. It is imperative. It is crucial to have a plan. But also know the point of this whole episode is that your plan will never go according to plan. And you got to be able to land on your feet still. Okay? So let's talk about the planning first. And then we'll talk more about what to do when things go down. I'll try to give you specific as examples. I don't want to throw too many people on the bus because we've been dealing with a lot of the fallout and and everything. Um, I'm not here to slander anybody, but there's just some there's just some ridiculousness that went down. And um, the most important thing is what I learned from them. Okay, so number one, talking about the pre production, if you will, the planning. I think that it is important to have a a good team. But if you are the leader of that team, or even one of the key contributing members of that team, have a vision in mind before you present it to anybody else who's coming on board. This comes down to the key factor of communication. This is the one thread that will be the most obvious and cliche and fundamental thing that goes through this entire episode and all the lessons learned is how to better communicate. But if you are the lead of anything of a short film, of a music video, of a marketing campaign, of a sales pitch, whatever it is, if you're the lead, you got to have the vision. You're the one setting the stage and you got to convey that to the rest of your teammates. People will follow suit if you have a vision and that requires some confidence. You might have to get over some imposter syndrome. That's human. And I'm there. I'm right there with you, but get over it and have your vision and present it. Because without that, everybody else who's there to support you and be on board is going to fall short because they have nothing to really hold on to. So as much as you possibly can, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be crystallized and finalized. You know, definitely doesn't have to be the final version, but have a vision, have an idea, have a purpose, have a mission of what you're trying to do with said project. My project that I'll be continuously referring to was our Collaboration Star Showcase, and that is our annual national competition. But it's a friendly competition for artists, Asian American artists from across the country to get together, perform, compete, win a prize, and for us to celebrate us as an organization and hopefully raise money so that we can continue our programs for the following year. So this last Saturday was a really important night, not only for the showcase, we had people flying in from across the country, but it was to get the community together because we are highly digital this day and age. We are online, we're on our phones, but I think that it is all the more important for us to get together in person person, kick it, share space, break bread, have a drink together, laugh, cheer together, and just be there with one another because that energy is priceless, it's irreplaceable, and it's crucial to movements moving forward with purpose. So um, that was the vision. That was That's always the vision at every event is that people feel welcomed, that they feel inspired, they walk away feeling empowered. I just got a message from Marvin. Um, but That's the vision. And I'm the one as one of the main leads of the event to convey that to all the volunteers and to the staff that are helping me put this night together. Um, So vision is really important because 
it really sets the groundwork, the foundation. Um, when you delegate, because that is what happens, you cannot, <laughs> very rarely have I seen anything, even if it's centered on you personally, like my personal election campaign in high school, very rarely, if ever, can a person execute anything by themselves. So when you have a team, it is important that you delegate and that you delegate intentionally. Ideally, you can rally a team that has complementary skill sets and talents that can provide something valuable to the overall goal. Okay. If everybody's the same and everyone has the exact same thing, like you don't need five graphic artists, you need one, you know, and you don't need five people who are good at talking to press, or you don't need five people who are going to be able to like decorate. You need one, maybe two, depending on how large the, you know, the goal, the agenda item is to execute that thing. And that's where, again, the, the concept of collaborating can be difficult because you're talking to so many different types of people and personalities and skill sets. But if you're the lead on that, if you're at any, even a contributor of that, it's good to acknowledge the value of different kinds of people. And then the delegation of those responsibilities have to be done strategically and with a right fit. And I have learned that in spades over the last several years, how sometimes I wouldn't take the time to delegate things to the right person. I kind of went to whoever was right there in front of me, whoever I kind of bonded the most and had a sort of idea with. I didn't even really ask them questions. I didn't ask them what they're interested in or or ask others what that person might be good at. But finding the right fit to what you need to get done is worth the investment of time. So in your planning, um, I've learned this in so many various ways, take the time to think about who is going to do what and don't you know, times can be desperate. I totally get it. And you might be at the mercy of just people or volunteers or low pay or what have you. But to the best of your ability, put some strategy into it to assign and delegate things to the person that is best suited for that task. Okay. Realistic time expectations. There, I don't think there's ever such a thing as too early. I have been operating in a mode where very often I'm operating very, 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 very closely to a deadline, if not at the deadline, if not late on the deadline. And that for a long time was kind of like my MO. That's a bad plan. A good plan is thought about, it is executed, it is strategized early, early on because you need as much time as humanly possible to actually execute that plan. Um, When it comes to time, when it comes to budget, when it comes to people responding to you and letting you know, confirming details, you never have enough time. There is an ideal window of time, especially for me as an event planner, when people are available and they can actually know their calendar out in advance. Like if I'm talking to a venue and like, hey, what's your plan for 2025? It's going to be kind of hard because they probably don't have their calendar yet. But I can't come up to them a month before my event and be like, yo, I need your space on like a Saturday night when that's a super popular night and they can't give me any availability because... I'm talking to them a month out. You know what I'm saying? So again, don't ever leave things to the last minute. Time is the most precious asset that you have. Time and communication, those are your two main things. Um, Give yourself enough time to rally troops. Give them time because they're going to need time to think about it, check their schedules, you know, like talk to their crystals and and get their astrology chart read and get a tarot card reading. I don't know. Check the wind and check their holidays and their vacation time. I don't know. There's a lot of things that will delay people being able to give you a firm yes or no. So 
make sure you prepare for that. My rule of thumb that I've learned thoroughly is that things take at least 1.5 to two times as long as you think they're going to. So when I always have these really ambitious, grandiose ideas for like, okay, we just need like two months to plan this, false. I needed four at least, okay? I have pulled stuff off. I'm very proud of that and it has taught me a lot, but the biggest rule of thumb is that I've, I greatly consistently underestimate how much time is required for all these different elements to come into place, whether it's your decorations and your DJs and your transportation, what have you. There's so many things that come into play when you're coming up with executing a project and creating an event or what have you. Okay, everything takes longer than you think. So don't forget that. Your girl Minji told you. Um, remember to put your people first. People are the ones that are going to make this grander vision. Again, the vision that you're presenting to everybody, they're the ones that are going to make this happen. So I think anybody leading a project needs to remember that these people, even if they're paid, I've dealt with a lot of volunteers, but I feel like in both both scenarios, none of them have to be there. Even if you're paying them, they don't have to be there. Like they could bail on you. They just won't get paid. They might get a bad reputation, but they could just not show up. With volunteers, I've never had a paycheck really to hold over people's heads. Um, And sometimes those paychecks can be kind of low. I mean, there's always something that can give people a bigger incentive or a bigger draw to be elsewhere than with you helping you on your events. And don't ever forget that because people are incredibly valuable. And if you're relying on them and you want to build trust with them, don't Treat them as though they are expendable, disposable, replaceable, and insignificant. They are the the assets that will make your vision and your purpose and your mission and your dream, what have you, come to life. Um, So valuing that genuinely, not in a serviceable manner, just so that you can get the outcome that you want, like in an auth, because people call bull, like you can call the BS now more than ever, so quickly. People are not stupid. Don't do it in a BS manner. Understand and truly appreciate that people are your asset. They're there for you. How does this manifest into concrete things when you're planning? Well, you think of details like accommodating those who are helping you. Think about parking. Think about uh, the time to, like, when is their call time? When are you expecting them to show up? Are you going to feed them? Are there adequate bathrooms? Um, there are so many details that come into play and into your mind when you're planning something, when you actually care. Okay. And when you don't care, that's also very, very clear. I had, I myself had participated in events where I was managing an event or something and they literally had like saltine crackers and tap water for their volunteers. And that to me conveyed a very specific communication of how these people valued the people who were running their event. And I thought that it was absolute garbage. So um, when you're thinking about these things and you're thinking about the people who are helping you, think about ways that you can appreciate them tangibly, like realistically. Even if you are paying them, respect their time, respect their contribution, feed them. I think food is the most basic thing that you can provide somebody. Um, And putting thought and effort into that with enough time um, to make sure that they're taken care of and that they don't have to kill themselves in order to be where you need them to be, okay? Um, So yeah, think of your people. Uh, Taking ownership of your piece, this comes back sort of to the delegating part, take ownership of what you have to do 
because you are contributing part, even if you're the leader and like overseeing all of it, take ownership of your part and be very, very clear in identifying the tasks that other people have to do. Now, this task, this task list, the agenda of like however you're going to lay out the flow of your events or of your campaign, what have you, um, this honestly comes back to the woo-woo part of me that I think has been so helpful in all the productions that I've had to do. I visualize. Honestly, the visualization has actually not been too long of a practice, given the fact that I'm into like these blank spaces and have to manifest a show. Um I really wish I had started visualizing earlier, but for everything from when you enter the venue, how do you want it to look? For me, I actually go as far as like, how do I want it to smell? How do I want it to feel? Is there music playing? Is there is there like a good vibe? Is there a good energy? And what are the things that we have to do in order to execute that? So planning something also can require all of your senses. And even though you may not physically be able to be in a space or know exactly how it's going to look like, getting the idea and using literally your imagination to envision how something is going to be executed in the future can help you identify all the different tasks, the timeline, um, the shopping list, what have you, in order for you to get that visualized reality or that visualized image into reality. So I come up with different visualizations of, okay, the day is going to start like this. I put myself in the volunteer shoes. Where are we going to meet? Where's the meeting spot? Uh, are we going to feed them? Where are we going to spread out all the tasks? Where are things going to get delivered? Uh, when are we going to ask people to come for my event for sound checks? When are, and those are things, again, I didn't make all those decisions, but I had to recognize that all of those elements are going to be at play in this very long, chaotic day. So then in terms of like the delegating, I have Marvin, who's my audio engineer and producer, um, but he's been like my right hand at collaboration. And he's always been so on top of the production elements. And I know I can trust him at this point. Like we've been through so many events and shows together. I know he's got that. And we take our respective parts and we run with it. We stay in communication because we know how we flow. But every event is also very different. Every venue is different. Um, every set of performers is different for us. So we have to continuously communicate with each other even if we have that trust and bond and we you know we see each other and we got each other's back um we have to establish like who is going to do what and what do we need so uh for this show that came up in our planning process we were actually speaking and we were constantly speaking via facebook messenger and slack slack is a a third-party platform where you can it's like a professional platform but um, we had check-in calls three times a week some people might think that that's excessive but with the rate that the rate and the number of people the number of acts the budget that we were working with it did require that and sometimes again for larger scale events whatever it is that you're working on whatever project three calls might be absolutely minimal and like nonsensical you might have to do like 10 calls a week two a day I don't know I don't know what your life is but um Giving enough space to check in, um, have enough time in between to get things done and to check in was really critical. And uh, through the preparation of Collaboration Star for Marvin and me, we actually realized we needed another person because I'm no longer full-time staff. So we actually brought on Jessica Stafford, who's a friend of ours who runs JSLA events in LA. She's been killing it, running some really great red carpet events, parties, fundraisers um, of all different kinds in Los Angeles. We decided we wanted to bring on her expertise, her help, um, her support as a third uh, head producer in our collaboration event. 
because we knew we could not do this, just the two of us. Um, So our planning with Jess was about three months, and uh, we were checking in three times a week. You know, we started off with a big vision. We had to whittle it down to the task and who is responsible for what. And then we had to come up with our execution. Now, the execution, Marvin also brought in our Collaboration LA team, which is our team of volunteers. They were also critical. They've run so many events in our local community in LA. Um, They've done productions. The people on our team, I cannot emphasize how professional, how incredible they are, and how lucky we are that we have like some of the best event planners in LA helping us with our show. and that they really took everything and became like another force, like equal to the three heads that were like starting the preliminary planning, that they they took it with us and then like freaking ran it. We together, we, we made it across that finish line. So the planning, um, again, it takes a lot of different aspects and a lot of details. But if you set the vision, you value your people, you delegate strategically, you have a realistic time plan, you appreciate the people again, um, and not just the people helping you, but the people that you're serving, your audience, the people that are going to receive that which you're creating. I mean, those are the elements I think that really come into play when you're planning anything. And without considering all these different elements, you know, the thing that you're trying to make happen could suffer. Um, and that's kind of on you to figure out how much time or energy or effort to put on each element of that. Um, but I also think that that's really critical. And I'll also say, in addition to those things, uh, the two bonus things is one, this is something that Kenji's taught me really thoroughly because I'm a really great improviser. I know how to take whatever's handed to me and just solve it, run with it, go. But um, Kenji's an incredible researcher. He doesn't leave things to chance. He tries to find the very best thing. If you're going to buy something, buy it right. Buy the correct one. Um, for example, like I'll have a Brita filter pitcher and I just need to replace it. So, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking about it, but I didn't really look at the Brita filter. And then I'm at the market and I buy like a five pack. And then I come home to find out that that wasn't the right Brita filter. You know what I'm saying? That's, it's happened more than once in my life where I have done something along those lines. With Kenji, he's very like, you need this exact thing. This is, you need the one that has this dimension, this size. And oh, by the way, you can find it on this website for the very cheapest and you can save money on shipping XYZ. He's extremely good at that. And so whenever you're putting on anything, especially because everything costs time and or money, right? Um, Make sure that it's spent well and take the time to do research. Um, If you have to rent anything, if you have to get space, I think that was honestly, this is where uh, I have to take responsibility because the things that happened that hit the fan with uh, our event were things that I think could have been researched um, and at least half the things could have been prevented. But I am still proud that we we pulled off what we did and we worked hard and we came together and like, I swear to God, I feel like we went through battle together. Um, But researching ahead of time, use those Yelp reviews, you know, ask around for other people's opinions. Again, this is why time is important. If you want to do adequate research, you have to have enough time to understand if the thing that you're putting money down for and telling all the rest of your team to show up and make something happen at this space, you got to know if it's worth it, you know, and um, doing the research to know if the thing that you're borrowing or renting or buying is the best price. Um, taking time to shop around. I mean, shopping is such an important skill. Nobody can 
go with as much as minimalists will argue with me. You can't go through life not having anything or using anything. At some point, you're going to have to buy rent or contract something. And knowing how to shop is an incredibly important skill. Do not take the first thing that you see unless you're absolutely desperate and you don't want to be in that spot because usually you're going to literally have to pay for that. Maybe double, maybe triple, maybe quadruple. I have been in a situation, I'm not even going to call out when, but I was in a situation where I had to buy a step and repeat, which is the backdrop for a red carpet. For big events, when you have sponsors and stuff, it's a pretty crucial item to have. Last minute, I had to buy one. And because I didn't plan or have it done early enough, one of these things in LA, you can get for a couple hundred bucks easily. 200 bucks and it's LA. You could go pick it up. It's like a 20 minute drive. Instead of $200 spent on a step and repeats for this one event that I was producing, we ended up spending $3,000. I, I can't even math right now to make sense of how much more I wasted or that our team wasted. Because honestly, I had another person I'm not going to even mention because it's not worth it. But I, th- I take responsibility because I think I knew best in that situation Um, because not only did we order one step and repeat, because we were not clear in our communication, we bought two. One of them cost $1,800 to print last minute in one of the most non-LA places that you could imagine during a weekend where everybody's ordering everything and to rush order it, get it printed and picked up, it cost $1,800. The other person on my team who did not communicate well with me and know that I was going to foot that bill, we did have budget to cover it, but we could have used that money for so many other things. She, he or she, they, they bought another one for $1,200. So altogether, instead of spending $200, maybe $300, maybe $300, we spent $3,000 more than 10 times what it would have cost if we just planned correctly, spent time uh, investigating and communicated. So there are real costs to these these bad decisions. And I can only imagine if you're listening to this out there that I know that you have some example where something that was not planned correctly, not communicated correctly, and uh, not delegated correctly was very costly for a lot of different reasons. And when you make those mistakes, it's again, it's not just about money and time. It's like how you feel. It can be a snowball effect to feeling like you're already failing. You're already ruining. And that can be something very hard to recuperate from, depending on what and how bad that fail is. So what I'm trying to tell you is I taking all these lessons learned so that you can apply and hopefully prevent a situation where you have failed so hard that I don't know. I don't want you get a, get fired or get a, a reputation as someone who's irresponsible and unreliable or that your event goes bad or your project goes bad so that in and of itself, all the effort that was put into it initially falls apart and unravels and is it completely goes against the purpose uh, that it was supposed to be. So research that, um, be a good shopper and have backups. I think in the visualization... Um, you have to think of your worst case scenario. Now, for someone like me who's a total optimist, it can be really hard to think of worst case scenario. I think there's a part of me, 
I mean, going into my feelings and feelings affect behavior, there's a part of me that was really fearful of acknowledging the worst case scenario. And I didn't even like legit wanted to avoid reality. And that's the younger part of me. Um, I haven't been that delusional, thank God, as of late. But um, I think in the past, when I reflect on how I used to behave, I think I just really relied on everything's going to work out. Everything's going to work out. Everything's going to work out. And you know what? In hindsight, everything did work out, but there was a lot of collateral damage that was unnecessary. There were things still that went wrong, and maybe I didn't have to take the fall for that, but somebody else did. So it's not only about you and your fear and your insecurity and your unwillingness to face a harsh, sucky reality, but it's important. Like Literally, everything could teeter in the balance of you being able to have a backup plan and acknowledging what if things go wrong? What if, uh, for us, what if the weather goes bad? It did rain on our event. Um, we kept being like, it can't rain. It can't rain. We got heat lamps. We have no canopy on our patio. Like we're having part of our event outside. It can't rain. Well, you know what, homie? Like we cannot control the weather. We are not God. And by avoiding that reality and not developing a plan. Okay, what's the backup? What's the contingency if it does rain? Um, what do we do if, if you know, I don't know, f- the food person doesn't come, they don't deliver? Are we going to get pizza? Like there's always a, an option. It'll probably not be as good as that first option, but you got to think about it. Someone's got to think about it. Maybe not everybody, but someone in the leadership has to think about what to do in the worst case scenario and then you know, be as prepared as you can be for that. Okay. So those are like the pre-production planning elements. There's probably more, but these are the ones that came top of mind and that I wrote down. And hopefully that is something that can be helpful to you as you prepare and plan for something really important. I don't know why, but I didn't even think of weddings up until this very moment. But I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I plan events. I was like, this is how probably a wedding would go. Um, Yeah. What if you planned your wedding outside and it literally just pours down. That happened to one of my best friends. She had a wedding outside Memorial Day weekend and it rained and we had to, we had to improvise. Okay. Now this is when, um, when you are now executing said plan and things just don't go right. I'm still recuperating from, uh, all the ways that, Things did not go according to our plan for Collaboration Star. But what I will what I will illuminate as far as context for those of you listening is that for our event, we have been centered around live performances and performing artists since the very first show. Since that show in 2000, 19 years ago, we care about being a platform for Asian American artists. We want to be a platform for diverse talent to go out there and represent and be fabulous and be funny and sexy and have swagger and dimension and all of the things. That is our goal. You can't do that when all of your technical elements of that stage don't work. So we went with a space that like, honestly, Jessica and I uh, from JSLA events, when Jess and I walked into that space, we fell in love with it. It felt there was a vibe in there that felt so cool and so different. And I couldn't recall any person or Asian American org or artist that I personally knew that I had seen or heard of performing there. Um, and we were at this space called Fado Do. 
Now, they basically have just been going through their own little renaissance, and um, we were doing our very best to fit our budget, our timeline. Um, I had a very specific kind of like vibe and really, again, the the limitations of, of timeline and budget that we needed to make fit. And fortunately for us, that venue it honestly kind of fell into my lap as as a gift from heaven. And I felt it was very different. It wasn't a large space. You know, Collaboration, we've had shows at like the Shrine Auditorium. That seats 6,000 people. This was like 300, 350 people space and um, just felt like this old time New Orleans jazz bar kind of vibe. And I was really, really excited about it. After all the different kinds of shows that had succeeded and kind of missed the mark a little bit for collaboration, I was so thrilled that we'd found this space and that it was available. Um, And when we agreed to this, we were a few months out from the show. And I think I was really relying on my own capability of being a producer and having produced, you know, dozens and dozens of shows at this point in different cities and different types of venues with different kinds of crews. Um, I had a lot of confidence in myself, I guess, that not just myself, like the team with Jess and with Marvin, I was like, oh, we're going to be fine. We can do this. We can pull this off. Um, but along the way, I think that, I guess that I don't know if I call it tunnel vision. I was more just like, we don't have space or time to to pivot. This is, we've chosen this. We have made verbal agreements. We have started putting money down. Like we can't, we're not moving. We're not budging. This is how it's going to go down. And I think when it comes to the leadership part of it, you know, there's a decisiveness that I think is required from a leader. They have to be able to move with confidence. You can't second guess every single freaking thing that you're doing. Um, because I think there's a difference between being open to suggestion and open to new possibilities and being like indecisive and insecure. I think you can be confident and visionary while still being open to like better ideas, but that's different than uh, just not having anything set and being kind of wishy-washy and going wherever the wind takes you. And so for me, I felt, um, you know, I don't have a successor. Marvin's been killing it. He's been working so hard to hold down collaboration. I wanted to be there for him. I wanted to be there for Jess. And I was being the confident, you know, like, we're going to make this happen. This is going to work. This is really, really dope. So in the execution part, um, you know, I think that we moved in good faith to get everything as prepared and as communicated as possible. But this was a new frontier for us. This was the first time we're taking a completely empty venue because we have operated primarily in theaters where there's seats and there's crews and there's staff already involved. And you kind of just collaborate with them and you tell them, this is what we're going to do here. And then they help you execute that. No, no, no. This event was completely all of us making it, building it from scratch. This was a completely DIY um, event. So in that aspect, giving myself only a few months, giving me and Jess and Marvin and the rest of the Collab LA team only a few months to really get this up on its feet was overly ambitious. Like I learned that now. Um, But for me, again, the intentions were good and it came from a place of high confidence. Um, So as we were executing this, the communication got really dicey. Um, What was promised and what was communicated initially between the venue and our team uh, 
seemed really great. And this is where I think that people have to be very practical. And it's not expecting the worst per se. I, I just, again, I'm an optimist and I, I still, at the end of the day, see the good in people. I know people intend for the best, but it doesn't mean that people are all capable of doing the best. Some people like myself can be overly idealistic, overly optimistic and spread really freaking thin. They can have their own personal issues. Who knows? Maybe they'll have a death in the family or they get in a car accident. Like things happen. You know what I mean? So to not prepare for the worst um, is just kind of, it's foolhardy, you know? And you gotta, you have to do it. It's it's an important part of being a grown up and being a professional. Um, not expecting the worst per se, but preparing for the worst. You gotta be ready in case something goes wrong. And in hindsight, um, you know, there are things like the fact that we're having our show in December. It's smack in the middle of holiday season. Everyone and their moms is holding a fundraiser. Everyone and their moms is holding a party. So all the different elements that we had expected to be super, super simple because we have run events all throughout the year were not applicable in this scenario because we're talking about renting chairs, renting tables, renting tablecloths, like things that universally everybody who's throwing an event uses. So to have the assumption that we're somehow exempt and safe because we know how to run events and stuff, it doesn't matter. Like you're literally competing with whoever gets to your rental person first and has, you know, who's able to pay. Um, So things like that on our end were definitely not fully taken into consideration. And bless Marvin and Jess for like, we were a great team because I feel like we were able to communicate and have trust in each other and bring the urgency that was required at different points to make sure that those things were taken care of. Getting quotes and getting responses during the holiday season is a nightmare. Just heads up. If you're doing anything within the wintertime, good luck because people are... I mean, I'm in LA, so this is maybe the flakiest place besides perhaps like Hawaii. Um, I love for you, Hawaii, but y'all don't commit to anything. Uh, not to anything, but you know, like it's very chill. It's very relaxed. In LA, it's like, well, I don't know if you're the best event that I can go to that night. So I don't know if I'm going to be there, if I can commit. Or I don't know if you're the best um, quote that I'll, you know, the best rate that I'll get. So I don't know if I'm going to commit to you. There's just this like really inconsequential flakiness about LA that drives me freaking nuts. When you're trying to solidify and confirm a vendor or an artist or anything, um, it can be really, really challenging. That is something very unique to this area. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the same problem is the same in Vegas or New York. I don't know. But getting people to confirm and give you a straight yes or no can be one of the worst and hardest things, which is, comes back to the time. You have to have that time buffer in case people say yes and then back out or they dangle you with a maybe until like, you know, a few weeks out from your event and they finally say yes. And then you got to create all the marketing assets to include them to then promote. So these are things that we are already kind of expecting to deal with. We were used to dealing with, um, but now was heightened by the fact that we're doing this right in the middle of the holiday season. We're building this event from scratch. Um, we've brought Jess into the fold and she's new to the, like our collaboration flow where we're kind of used to doing things in this more, not relaxed manner, but um, in our way. I just, I think some ways we're way more formal than other. I've heard from other productions that we're actually more formal and more detailed and more professional, even though we're a group of volunteers, um, which I'm very proud of. But having our groove and bringing somebody, you know, third party that's never been part of that into the fold 
that takes time for that that to mesh and to make sense um, because you're going to have a learning curve. And people are going to have to figure out like, oh, what does this mean? And who's that person? And, oh, I didn't know that we should ask for that discount or how I just said, uh, you know, was helping us out. We're nonprofit. So the way that we can ask for donations or nonprofit discounts, she it was new to her. So again, there's a learning curve for everything. Um, each thing, even if you're working with the same people and familiar faces can be unique and challenging in a different way. So when those things go down, I think just the biggest thing in this execution part, when things hit the fan is about patience. Um, because there's so many ways that things can fall apart. And if everybody starts, it's a domino effect of impatience and resentment and irritability and anger and hostility. And these things, it's like a, it's momentum that builds up. And that's what makes the process a nightmare. It's what stagnates everything. Because once you start getting snippy with people that you need to give you a yes or no, guess what? They don't want to respond to you. (laughs) So for all intents and purposes, having patience and having appreciation and respect for all parties involved is of the utmost importance. And that can be the one hardest thing can be that you can do because everything may be falling apart or pivoting and going in ways that you did not expect. That is a main thing that I've learned as a producer through all of my events, whether that was senior prom or a production where I have Amazon Web Services and HBO and Comcast coming as my guests because they're sponsoring and I have a certain level of event that I need to execute to accommodate and please and impress them and have them coming back as supporters. There's different things at stake. There's different things on the line. And that is going to be unique to each person who's involved because their skin in the game will be very, very different. So having a level of empathy and understanding for yourself and for everybody, um, it's to everyone's benefit that whatever you're creating is good. So baseline assumption having, you know, the assumption that everyone wants this to succeed, they just all have very different ways of envisioning how it would succeed, is it's a safe bet. They they want it to go well. If they're putting their product on their lane, they're putting their name on the line, their their performance, um, their sponsorship dollars, they're not rooting for you to fail. They may really disagree with how you're going about using those things or how you're placing them or what order your lineup is, but they don't want it to be bad. So sometimes that can be easily forgotten because you're talking about money and time and energy and you can feel like you're the most important voice or person in that room. So you can jump to the conclusion of, oh, you're disrespecting me. You don't care anything about this. You are sabotaging me. You are, um, you're just like dragging us down, whatever. Like you just kind of can jump emotionally to a really bad place and suddenly all respect and decorum or kindness or, you know, civility just goes out the window. And honestly, for me, it reached that point with this event. I'll say um, the, the venue that we were at just overall, we had massive technical difficulties. There was a, a severe lack of communication that was really, really problematic that we were doing our very best to continuously address. I'm a pretty direct person at this point. I I don't have enough time or energy to like dance around issues anymore. But I think that I've uh, been in so many different stressful situations that hopefully I've been able to maintain my cool until absolutely necessary when it's just like, no, no more. And then I stop being 
really nice and sweet and syrupy and accommodating. But I have a pretty high threshold and um, we were doing our very best. I was, we were mad stressed throughout this process, but getting all the details squared away in a timely fashion when we had guests and performers flying in from all over the country. We had people flying in from Atlanta, from San Francisco, from Virginia, from Vegas, from Boston and Chicago. I mean, we had so many different guests making our event their priority for that Saturday night. Um, And I don't take that lightly. So with all those things, you know, mounting and like the clock is ticking and every minute gets faster and faster. And I don't know anybody who's ever been up against a deadline, which I imagine is everyone, the the pressure mounts and you got to kind of be ready to know that your stress level is going to go up and how you're going to maintain that. So for me, I actually, I don't know if it's the best way to frame it, but I've gotten used to that stress. I've kind of learned to embrace it. And I even said stuff like, oh, I work the best under stress. I don't think that's true. I can operate under stress, but I think I've passed that hump where I need things to be, you know, high energy. I work in high energy situations, if it's intense, I can handle it. I actually really like it. Um, there's a really good electricity that's like flowing through everything. I love that. But when we're getting into this, like stressed out, you don't know if things are going to fall apart the very next second. That stress can't do it anymore. I will not do it anymore because why are we all doing this? Why are we all working so hard and paying money for things to be falling apart? That's on my, it's usually now because I'm leading things, it's my job and my responsibility to ensure that it doesn't fall apart. So when people say stuff like that, like, oh, I work the best in stressful environments and da, 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 da. I'm just going to gently ask you to like check that and see if that's the narrative that you want to keep repeating. Because personally, I used to really pride myself and like I work well under stress and it has gotten me, if you listen to the Flesh and Bones episode with Josh Hahn, it has taken me to the ER. It is not something that I want to put my body through because I can like collapse. And you know, many years I got sick after every single event, I would just like... As soon as the adrenaline's gone, I would my body would fall apart. And if I didn't end up in the ER, I'd at least end up with like the flu or bad cold. Um, I don't want to live like that. <laughs> I want to enjoy the ride. I love the intense moments, the energy, the high energy. But at the end of it, I want to be able to sleep peacefully and get up and see my family or my friends and get a good meal the next day without falling apart. So paying attention to those narratives is really important. But... With this incident last Saturday, I had to be ready for the fact that all flags were there, especially in that final week before our show came up with how many things were left unchecked and how many things were unconfirmed. And they happened to be the technical parts of our show, which is the main substance of our show. We had 10 acts of different sizes, parameters, needs. We had folk singers, we had rappers, we had choreographed dancers, we had a band. I mean, we had so many different elements to this show. There's nothing nothing that we're able to leave to chance. And to have that element of the show be unconfirmed one week out was highly stressful for us. Um, trying to get those things confirmed and taken seriously was really challenging because This was what happened when people get too confident and they can kind of blow off things that seem like minor details without properly giving it its due diligence. So you might be on either side of it. You might be the person that's like the one confirming for someone else because they're coming into your space and you're just like, oh, yeah, we have that taken care of. Oh, yeah, we have a projector. Oh, yeah, we have space for that. Do you know that for sure? 
That is something everybody needs to question, the planner and the person collaborating with that planner. Are you sure? Double check that. If you do not check and you don't double, triple check and confirm it, everything can and probably will fall apart. It is best to operate under Murphy's Law that everything that can go wrong will. Um, And that happened for us at a very high stakes day. And in summary, um, the technical difficulties, not having the proper equipment checked in a good amount of time, um, having a good inventory of what was even available, when these things would come, and when they were communicated to us led to such a difficult day of for the for our show day, which in essence, all the work that had gone into it, not just Marvin and Jess and myself, but like the collaboration LA Girls, I want to shout out to Izzy and Monica and Juliana and Megan and everybody else who helped out. They There are many human beings on top of all the performers who are really riding on this this one night, these five to 10 minutes that they have on stage to blow the audience away. It came down to like the last 48 hours when things were still not okay. And for me, as somebody who was in charge of all that, I was, again, I go to a different place and I had to operate, like find my Zen monk But I broke multiple times that Thursday and Friday prior to the event because there are things that I just had no more tolerance for and I had to put my foot down. So when things hit the fan, there may be that point where you or somebody else, you know, maybe can assign the good cop, bad cop thing, but they have to just make the call and they have to choose somebody out. I do not condone getting hysterical or hostile unless absolutely necessary. I think that is a complete last resort. And for me, even like in my, you can listen to all my different episodes on my anger and my rage. I know my my threshold, like I know where I can go. I know how vicious I can be. So because I know that, and because I've gone there in the past with different terrible people in my life, um, I've had to learn how to harness that and temper it. I did go off on two individuals two days before the event, Um, And in hindsight, personally, I'm very thankful to say I don't really think I did it in a terrible way. I don't think I took any super vicious, unnecessary, below-the-belt jabs. I was very, very clear at what my grievances were. I was very clear on what I needed to get done um, in light of what the problems were. And I was able to kind of come off the anger by the end of the phone call, well, one of them, um, I'll tell you the second one, but uh, the first phone call where I was just livid because I was already juggling with at least 80, 80 tasks that I needed to do in the next 24 hours um, and everything on a very minute to minute basis to have our technical problems be so significant two days out of the show when it would require extra money being paid on rentals and literally finding people to staff this event when again you're 48 hours from it's just it's the nightmare that you don't want to deal with um yeah i i put my foot down so again yeah it's me not condoning like hey just go around throw your weight around and yell at people but if people are not doing right by you that needs to be communicated i've operated in a world where like because this is my projection and my narrative that i've had in my own head and that i don't think is universally correct. But because I'm a woman, because I'm Asian American, I've been overly accommodating, overly patient, very fearful of being disliked or honestly just not 
being able to hold it together, like I'm just scared. Okay, once that dam breaks, all hell will break loose and I don't, I might just unravel. I literally, I, I've been in so many situations before where like as soon as I start speaking my truth, quote unquote, I start crying and I just crumble. And like who's going to be able to communicate with someone who's just like sobbing because she can't make words and she's so angry? You know, I had to learn how to speak my mind coherently, clearly, respectfully, and constructively. That's a very tall order. So because of all those things, just having been thrown in so many different scenarios, I've had to learn how to practice that. And it's certainly, you know, I'm in my 30s now. I feel like I have a better grasp of it. If you're not there yet, it'll take time. But also don't expect that you can avoid that forever. You know, times get tough. People mess up. They make mistakes and they need to be corrected. And I think there's a way for us to correct each other and check each other um, with full accountability still with with respect and still with results. And um, so I had to choose somebody out on Thursday. We were able to conclude it by the end of like a 15-minute call, but I got very, very like audibly angry. So I felt good on my end that I wasn't hiding how much I resented how much we had had to tolerate up until that point. Um, and I felt like that person needed to know. He needed to know how hard it had so unnecessarily become and what damage it was doing not only to me to our budget to our whole team to the to like the integrity and the like the substance of the show he needed to know that because that's his responsibility we had paid these people to be our counterpoint we are a team with them even though we're paying we're customers we're, we're the client you know um so that was that, that happened. Um, it continued to happen throughout the event. And to anybody who came out to Collaboration Star, thank you so much for your patience. Like I said that 80 times throughout the day to all the performers because everything got delayed. There are so many people that came and were clutch and helpful and supportive. And like I could start crying because the crowd that night, even though we we're having mic issues and the show itself started late, um, I'm just so grateful for how supportive people were because in a live event, people could start booing. They could just, you can feel it. Like energy in a room, everyone can feel when it's tense, when it's negative, when it's hateful, when it's like condescending, you can feel that. And for me as the person putting it on and being the host, it's like, that's my worst nightmare. That is literally the exact opposite of what I wanted to have happen. Everybody who contributed, no one wants that. Um, but even in light of everything that was going wrong and how tough of a time our staff and our volunteers had been having that day, trying to put out fires literally every five minutes and trying to figure out how to survive and make sure that we put on a good event. Um, everyone who was there, including the performers, were so, so supportive. And our team, we were supportive of each other. So I just need to put that out there that I thank them because that was a blessing of blessings to have that silver lining because that's what carried us through. Okay, now the anecdote of the second person that I chewed out, um, again, because this one element, this may take a minute to explain, but it's a, and it's kind of a ridiculous story, but I still stand by it. So one of my issues that I wanted to, uh, execute in our collaboration show was trees okay i was really really hell-bent on getting trees rented for our event and the venue itself is really cool against like a new york new york new orleans jazz vibe black and red interior kind of old-timey vibe red curtains like it's dope but I wanted, it was kind of bare. And I thought, we need some greenery. We need to kind of fill this with some lushness. I don't know. It'll give it character. It'll give it um, 
it'll just give it a life that I, I want to have. So I had spent multiple weeks looking up different plant rental places. I got quotes from multiple Yelp spots. And my assumption, again, my, assault, my faulty assumption in planning this was that I'm in LA. There's plant rental places everywhere because we have so we have the Oscars. We have the Grammys. We have, you know, the Beverly Hilton. Like everyone's got to have a plant person, right? Wrong. It was way harder to find a plant rental person than I thought. First of all, second of all, I love it. I'm like at near the end of my podcast today. First of all, um, secondly, the fact that it's the holiday season, it's not that easy. Even if you do find one that is available on a Saturday night to deliver and uh, find something that also is within our budget. Again, we're a city, we're Hollywood. People have inflated budgets for the Emmys, for the Oscars, for the Beverly Hilton and everything in between, you know, like all the, the smaller events too. But in the holiday season, they don't want to just like send out their delivery trucks and hire laborers to deliver plants for like a tiny event, right? So the odds of you finding something last minute that suits a smallish event where you need maybe like a dozen or max two dozen plants, a mix of small and big trees, is it was a lot harder than I thought. So I learned my lesson. I was in communication with one guy who was very enthusiastic, very promising. I sent him photos or I described the venue to him. We had a good phone call, good initial phone call. He told me to email him and let him see what the venue looked like so that he could make some recommendations. I really appreciate that. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yes. Yes, queen. So I sent him photos of the venue, never heard back from him, called him, didn't pick up, left a message. Um, this was around thanks. Now it's like creeping towards Thanksgiving. So I was like freaking out because we're getting close to the event and uh, holidays. Everybody just goes off the grid. So I'm calling around other places, but I'm really relying on this guy because he gave me a good quote. Um, it worked within our budget. I felt like we could make it work. And it was one less thing that I had to deal with because it was an important element, but not the most important as far as like transporting our artists and making sure our production stuff works and having food to feed people. Um, it wasn't the most important, but it was important to me. So when I got this all taken care of, quote unquote, I thought we're good. Um, I was like, I'll follow up with him. He has a basic understanding. He has my budget. He knows how many things I want. So as long as we just choose the right trees, he made it sound like it was a done deal. Um, hadn't heard back from the email again, followed up on the email. So I decided to call him again. Then he finally picked up and he said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've totally been meaning to talk to you. We'll make it happen. Don't worry about it. Um, let me email you back. I'll send you the samples of what I have. Basically promising that he'll keep his promise that he originally told me probably two weeks prior when we spoke the first time. Still no email. Now we're creeping up to the week of the event. Again, I'm calling other spots. They don't have anything. I'm looking at like nurseries in my neighborhood, but none of the trees look very nice. He had sent me finally a couple photos of trees, which I appreciated, and uh, but not the smaller plants that I had requested. So again, I'm following up. I have a million jillion other things to handle. And uh, finally, it's <laughs> God. This, is where, this is also me acknowledging my bad in all this. I was just, I felt like I had no other option. I was like, this guy, everywhere else either told me, I talked to several other vendors and they said they didn't have what we needed. Um, they were out, they couldn't do delivery to our area or it was too expensive. So I was putting a lot of eggs in this basket. And so I called 
I uh, threatened him on Wednesday night. I said, if you don't call me back or email me, um, I'm going with somebody else. The next morning I got an email and then still hadn't confirmed a price. I was like, let me know what time you're delivering and what the final price of everything is. This is now Thursday. I was like, if you don't call me back immediately, I'm going to go with someone else. And that was even lie because I didn't have anybody else. But literally, I was like, I'm not going to pay this guy. He's a dick. Friday morning, I'm on my way to LAX from the Valley. This is a horrendous drive. If you are familiar with Southern California, driving down the 405 at 830 in the morning, which is like peak traffic hours. I'm on the 405 and I'm trying to get a hold of this guy. And he picks up the phone miraculously. And I said, hey, this is Minji from Collaboration. He knows my name. He knows my email. It's like, oh, hey. And I was like, are we confirmed for tomorrow? I need you to give me a time. I need you to give me a final number. And this guy didn't even remember any of the things that he had talked to me about. So then he starts BSing me with these uh, fake numbers because he had given me, if you want a six-foot tree, a seven-foot tree, an eight-foot tree, it's this, this, and this price. Now he hyperinflated it. He added 10 bucks on top of that. So I called him on it. I was like, yo, that's not what you said to me. Well, again, I was trying to keep my cool because I had already chewed someone out the day before. I didn't need to mess with this guy. And I was like, okay, um, per our last conversation that we spoke about prices, you said that a six-foot tree was this price, this price, this price. I'd also seen on his website that he had misquoted me because on the phone he said, okay, as long as you get a $500 um, rental, if you get an order that's $500, I'll we deliver for free in LA. And I was like, that's really, really great. Thank you. Then I looked at his website, Doug, like very, not even Doug, it was like shallow digging. But I looked at his website and on his website, it said $400 deliveries, $400 orders provide, you know, you get a free delivery. So I said, I was like, also went on your website and you would advertise that you do free deliveries for $400. So I would love to go with honoring that. But I wasn't really budging from my budget because I still needed the amount of trees. But I was like, I don't need to go over $500 in order for you to deliver. I wasn't not going to pay this guy. I still had a fairly big order. Then this guy starts saying, oh, well, uh, starts stumbling over his words. And I said, yeah, I just want to clarify all this because our event is tomorrow. He puts me on hold. I'm sitting on the 405 in traffic and I'm like just keeping it together. I'm very proud of myself. Gets back on the line and he's like, well, uh, you know, if if we can uh, make a, I mean, if we can cover the cost of the the, the truck, then uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess we can, we can make it happen. I was like, excuse me? So now there's a contingency, like we're not going to make this happen when this entire time you've been assuring me that this is going to happen. And um, yeah, he starts wobbling on his promise. And he's like, I was just, I was already done with him, but I wanted, I wanted to make him sweat. I was like, so how much is your truck? How much do we have to pay in order to make it worth it for your truck? So my truck is $300. And I was like, I gave you a $500 budget and you're not, you're lying. I just, then it was when I broke and I was like, you're, you're lying to me. You've lied. You've taken back every number that you gave to me. You never followed up on any of the emails that you said you were going to do. You've never been accountable or responsive or truthful to me about any of this. You advertise $400 on your website. You tell me it's $500. You say that we're going to do this and you're going to deliver for this on this day. And you now you're saying, if I can cover your truck rental, then you'll maybe do it. And he's just like wavering and he's definitely really sweating and... He's like, well, I mean, I just, 
I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't know if this is worth it for like blah, blah. So this this mofo is telling me 24 hours before my event that he doesn't know if our order is worth his time. So I was like, no, 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 you don't need to keep talking because I'm not your customer anymore because I'm not hiring you, nor will I ever let anybody hire you if if I have any power in it. Sidebar, this guy's name is Plant Man. I genuinely, I'm, I don't know how large of a platform I have and people are listening from non-LA areas, but this guy was just, I mean, he could have been worse in a lot of ways. He could have been a completely hostile, like verbally assaulting me which he wasn't. But in terms of being a business person who 24 hours before a nonprofit fundraiser event tells somebody that their order that they've been saying yes they will do is suddenly not worth their time is just below scum to me. Um so I told him exactly what I thought of him. I didn't I think the worst word I said I said this is bullshit. So I didn't go off and like really curse him out. Again, I know I'm capable of it, but I didn't So I'm thankful that I didn't because I think that would have made me feel bad. But I just told him very clearly, this is not how you do business. This is how you treat a person. If he had said to me that I was not worth it, based on the numbers, the very clear numbers that I gave him from the get-go, from the earliest conversation, we would have planned around it. And this is my idiot self, like on my end, like I needed him to know that because I was like, don't you ever do this to anybody ever again. If they're not worth your time, that's totally your prerogative. That's your business. But you do not string anybody along until the day before their event with yes, 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 and then suddenly say no or I don't know if it's worth it and leave them dangling to be left to who knows like what they're uh, what they can do at that point a day before. Um, So that sucked. So I'm glad I said something. He's just like. I mean, like maybe in the future. And I just said, no, there will be no future. There's no future. I will never work with you. Um, and I just said, I you, I can tell you, you've ruined my day or you've ruined this element. You've made it infinitely harder than it needed to be. You made this whole process super difficult. And I just, I think that it's terrible. You're a terrible business person. Um, and then we got off the phone. Um So that was a very long-winded storytelling part. But I don't know. There's part of me that still marvels at the fact that I can say some of these things out loud. As outspoken as of a person I am, I don't take pleasure in shutting people down or telling them that I think that they're terrible. Um, In the past, when I've had to do that, I've walked away feeling like just a terrible person. I felt awful, and it eats away at me, and I think about it. I obsess over it. Because I don't know. I don't know what moments, I don't know what that guy's going through and I don't know what his family life is like, but I just, I don't understand how you can run a business and like be that confidently reassuring and like disingenuous about your numbers. Like literally just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So I think that that across the board is a good business practice for all parties. Whether you're the person quoting or you're the one getting quoted, be be as clear and decisive as possible. Um, but coming back to kind of like that feedback portion of it, I mean, we're all humans and people, everyone's going through things. I'm sure that guy was like juggling many different whatevers. But how? who's to say that one person's event is more important and more meaningful than the next? I don't know what else, who else he was like, who his clientele was. Maybe he's serving the UN. I don't know. But all I know is I'd put the last several months with 
amazing teammates who are all putting their blood, sweat, and tears into this and that we wanted trees so that we can make it the best event possible. And the fact that he didn't have the integrity to just say yes or no and let us plan around it up until then um, was appalling to me. In addition to that, I will also say, so he, I don't think he was right in any aspect. My wrong, my big blunder, my fail out of that was relying on him and also not doing my research because I was so desperate for this thing that I wanted to make happen that I went with somebody that has like a two-star rating on Yelp. Okay. But he was literally, the way I justified it in my mind was that he was the only person that was giving me the yeses that I wanted. He said he had trees available. He did send me photos, albeit very late. And so I was just desperate to cling on to this one aspect. Like, okay, this is the way that I can make my trees happen and they'll be beautiful. Um, so I was so stubborn and hellbent that I didn't take reality into account. I didn't, um, call my own inability to like accept this guy is not reliable. He's a bad business person. So those flags and all of that was already there. It was on the internet. It's 2019. Pretty much the next decade is around the corner. I have no excuse except for the fact that like for something that I kept saying meant so much to me, like these trees are going to make the event right in my head. And I still kind of think that they did. Um, I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't, I didn't go there. And I, so in essence, I did hold myself accountable. Like I I brought it to that. I brought it to be making this phone call while I'm on the 405 in traffic on my way to LAX. And there's no other time that I could have addressed this or strategized or made a decisive choice on my end to prevent that. And I could have. That was completely within my my choice and my power, my ability. So that sucked. That really, really sucked um, to recognize. And that so Friday was a pretty rough day. However, I will say, again, my thing that I appreciate about me in in light of all of all this um, is the fact that I can figure out what I need to make happen. So I kicked my own butt internally. I was like, don't you ever forget this, Minji Chang. You you are a grown woman. You're a professional producer. It shouldn't have gotten this far. It was me using the word should. It didn't need to go this far. You could have prevented this. Prevent it next time. Do your research better. Like I was very clear with myself. Don't not research. Do not rely on somebody that is showing you all the flags and all the behavior and all the signs that he is not a reliable person with integrity. He is a flaky, noncommittal, lying, like disingenuous person. Like the words he said in his website are differing. So clearly he's not even on the same page with himself. Why were you relying on him till Friday? Um, so I got clear with myself. And then I was like, okay, so moving on because we have other things to do. Um, I ended up going to Ikea the morning of. So now I have some new trees in my apartment <laughs> because we decorated and then I also kept some. So um, yeah, there's a solution to all different things. And we actually sent, saved money because buying trees from Ikea was cheaper than renting them and getting them delivered in LA. So just FYI, can make things work. The silver lining is there are solutions. You have to get creative. And sometimes when you're backed into a corner, you have to figure out how to like make it work for you and not crumble and not get so caught up in the anger and like, why did this fail? Why did this go wrong? That you can't then get to the solution, get to the conclusion that will help and be what you need to be. Does that make sense? I'm talking to air, but you feel me, right? Um, 
So a million other examples, um, the technical aspects, I'll really quickly say, you know, I want to thank Marvin and Aubrey and uh, Jimmy and Tony and Mimi and all these people that were backstage handling this craziness. And Josen, who was our clutch audio engineer who came in the day of, there are so many people who just came to our assistance, who went above and beyond. I can't, I'll start crying when everything for us in that moment was at stake and felt like it was on the line. Um, even my co-host dumbfounded, like we've both, like he and I have both been in live shows. I've never co-hosted with him, but it was a new experience for us co-hosting. And I felt so stressed out because I not only have to perform, I have to get on stage and be as charming as possible and welcoming and banter with with dumb but like i'm stressing out about all the all the technical stuff and just praying and praying i was about to cry at the top of the show i was just praying that the mics start working because they weren't working for over half an hour from our, our start time um things were just going really really wrong but those are the times where people really step up so I just have to thank everybody in our production team and thank you to again to Izzy and Monica and all of the Collab LA volunteers, to Christine, um, to Jess. We all stepped up. Like we left up. We had planned so well. And I think if those technical things hadn't gone bad, it's still we still would have had challenges and bumps because it's nothing's perfect. But we planned very well. And I was very, very proud of how far we had come, even at the top of the day. But it really did hit the fan that day when people were waiting in line. They're sitting there and you're just, the show is starting literally 45 minutes late. The microphones still aren't working. Um, there's a celebrity guest in attendance who's a part of the show and has a hard out. He has to leave at a certain time. These live events have taught me so clearly what it feels like to have things at stake and sometimes just feel completely helpless and at the mercy of whenever this microphone signal is going to start working. You literally don't know. And sometimes you can prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare, have all the best people in place and have everything planned to a T and things can still go wrong for some random reason. Um, But in light of that, it's still, that's when it counts to hold it together. And if there's any reason to hold it together is think about who you're serving and who you're trying to help, whether it is your teammates, because for me it was, I wanted to make this night be something all of us could feel proud of walking away. That was my number one thing is like, we all worked our butts off. They will, everyone here will never know how much work we put into it, but I do. And I want to make sure that we walk away feeling like this was worthwhile and that it was a success and people had a good time and um, that the artists enjoyed themselves. Like the artists who put their craft and work on their sets and trust us with their creativity and with their profession to uplift them, that they feel like they weren't part of a, a scam or sham show. You know, that that matters to me. That's the integrity of like what we have. Our word is our bond. If you say we're going to start at 730, it's got to start at 730. If you start at 815... I don't know. That says, you know, that was, I was freaking out. Um, which is why I go back to the thank you. Everybody stepped up. People left up. So when things hit the fan, um, there's a mix of things. I don't know if I, I, I outlined it as concretely as the preparing and planning part. But I think in conclusion, um, patience has to be practiced throughout, honestly, from beginning to end. Even if that patience cracks and you have to like 
some heads have to roll. That's a very graphic thing. But like if if someone needs to get talked to, you still can do that with patience. And that's because you have to think about what the bigger end goal is. Even in that moment of complete anger and like frustration, um, I know what my goal is. And my goal is my eyes are set on the prize of like, I need to, I want to make a good night for everyone. I want the legacy to continue in a positive way, even if we're going to have these bumps. Um, You have to improvise. You have to get creative. Getting too caught up in what's going wrong when things hit the fan doesn't lead to solution. Fixating on the problem, the problem, the problem is not going to get you the solution. You have to think solution-minded. And I know that sounds really simplistic and cliche, but you have to think about what is it that you want to achieve and how do you get there? There are multiple ways to get to one destination, right? Um, so it's it's a practice, it's a tactic, um, and it may not be natural or easy or default for you, but that's where you learn. And that's why these experiences teach us more than when things go well. So what happens when everything goes wrong and your your skin is in the game, your neck is on the line and you got to execute, you got to perform, you got to show up. How is that going to turn out? Um, and I really do believe that people are way more capable than they think. I am more capable than I thought I was. The things that I've had to overcome and that I have overcome are honestly kind of like when I really think about it, I'm surprised because the old version of me would have just cried and crumbled and yelled or like run away maybe. I don't know. But I showed myself over over and over again, okay, things will fall apart and I'll figure it out. And I'll figure it out. I'll ask for help. When things fall apart, you got to ask people for help. You got to communicate and let people help you. Um, and so I just at the end of the day, I have so much gratitude because so many people who I asked for help and even those I didn't ask for help came to our aid. Um, and I just feel so blessed for that because I'm just like, oh, what do we deserve to just, you know, get such kind, loving people to help us? Um, and Outside of what you may be experiencing, something to help you get out of that feeling of just maybe like anger and terror and frantic stress is be there for somebody else. Ask someone else how you can help them. One of the things that grounds me when everybody is stressed, especially during showtime, which I freaking love that, again, that high energy, is I check in on my team. I, I know that they're they're dealing with a lot. And um, especially that production team on Saturday with Marvin and Aubrey. I mean, the stress was visible. It was palpable. And the only thing I could do was hug them. And I don't know what to, to what degree that helped. But I literally will cuddle people that I care about just to reassure them and thank them. So I kept trying to do that as much as possible and check if they're eating or drinking water. Um, there's things, always things that can be done. And there are ways to communicate support. Even if you cannot fix the sound, you can help alleviate the stress that your teammate or someone else on your, on your, you know, crew is dealing with. And I think being a support to somebody else helps you get out of your own head and out of all the things that are going wrong. And being there for someone can be the thing that helps you the most too. And it can genuinely diffuse and make other people de-stress so that they can come to their solutions too. I couldn't fix the sound because I'm not production oriented. I don't know what all the chords are, but that's what Aubrey and Marvin knew. And all I knew is all I could do for them is be there for them and hug them and be their emotional shamwow. Because, oh my God, I could feel the stress. I could feel them shaking and just not breathing. And um, it was really, really high stress on Saturday. (laughs) And... um, 
Yeah. So I, I also want to say I'm sorry. Just I feel like there are a lot of flags that, again, at the in hindsight, everything's so clear. And I wish I had been pushier. I wish at certain times I've been less accommodating and understanding, just being patient. Um, and those are all lessons that we're going to continue to learn. Um, so I'm giving you a very long-winded explanation of production life and how it can feel to produce a live event and all the things that can go wrong. But I think it's kind of the same with, for me at least, the things I've learned in this profession and in this lifestyle of mine is applying it to all other things. I don't think anybody intends for things to go wrong. Um, but when they do, there's multiple ways to go about solving it. Um, there is accountability that's necessary. And choosing how you want to execute that is fully on you. But as you as you do and as you communicate and be a human being, keep iterating and keep thinking on the lessons from each time because they do educate the next time because there will be a next time. You know what I mean? Um, and whether I never do a live show ever again for the rest of my life, which is probably not true because I will. Um, and I'm just doing film or if I never do film and I'm just like a parent. Crisis, crises happen. Um, things that you plan and prepare for will go awry and we'll just have to figure it out. And I really believe that you, anyone right now who are listening to this are really capable you are creative and strategic and responsive and you want the best for you, for everyone else. Um, and it's possible. And I think it's how how we deal with that crisis, how we figure out, even if it's on a very second-by-second second basis, how to climb out of that hole. That's the good stuff. And that's the thing to remember. That's what makes people professionals. That's what makes people confident is like, I overcame that. I handled that. It might not have been in the best way, but I learned and I'm going to be better the next time. That's literally all you can do. So for everyone who contributed and supported last Saturday's show, and I want to give a special thank you to Kenji because he was very, very patient and supportive and watching me have many stressful moments throughout the entire process. Um, be grateful for those things, learn from them, move on, um, and try not to get too paralyzed in all the things that went wrong. But definitely regroup. We are going to have our recap meeting. We will we will catalog everything that went down and hopefully continue to grow for us as all individual creatives, producers, um, artists, and also as an organization. This is our upward failing up, I guess. Um at the end of the day, the night was a really big success, but I call it like a successful disaster. A disastrous success? No, successful disaster. It was a really good night, though. It was fantastic. It was really, really beautiful. I honestly think it produced more love because they saw us being vulnerable and struggling on stage and everyone was like cheering for us and like being so loving. Like, holy crap, what do we do to deserve that love? It's just incredible. So um, that's it for this episode. I hope that you got something helpful out of this know that everything's going to be okay. You have what it takes to make it okay. You'll survive and you'll learn and you will make it better the next time around. Okay? So that's it for Minji's lessons from her live event, Crisis Life. If you enjoyed this episode and you think that it can be helpful to somebody, please do share it. And um, subscribe, leave a five-star review, and I would love 
that love. I appreciate it. Also, for those who uh, want merch, I've had more DMs, which is great. I'm just personally mailing uh, my stickers out. You can see my stickers at my First of All Pod Instagram. Um, I'm working on creating the web platform. I apologize for not having that up yet, but it will be up um, so that it can be ordered online. And then hopefully early next year, there'll be some additional designs and other things that I can share with y'all from my brain because I love creating stuff. Thank you to everyone who's been supportive. I hope if you have it, uh, you're enjoying it, that it's having a good impact on your life. And you can find First of All Podcasts on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and all the places that you find podcasts. If you'd like to support my podcast, you can become a patron on patreon.com slash first of all podcast. And you can also email me um, at firstofallpod at gmail.com. I got the loveliest letter uh, from a young woman, Chinese-American woman in San Diego, who's originally from the Bay. I remember you. I think it's Jenny. I don't want to misspeak. Uh, No, Jessica. Her name is Jessica. Shout out to Jessica. Thank you so much for listening. Sending you so much love. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's been supportive in DMs and emails. It means the world. And knowing that my stories are helping somebody. Let your story help someone else too. So that's it for me this week. More stuff coming to you next week. I hope you're enjoying your holiday season. Take care of each other. Thank you to Aquafina and Uzahan for their use of their music, for the intro and outro. Love to Marvin for being my audio engineer producer. And I'm also proud, proud, I'm a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, which is a collective of Asian American podcasters and storytellers. Take care of yourselves. Be well. Live your best life. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Came in 88 with a dream oh so bright eyed. They knew right away, sink or swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting their teeth on the move, nobody's filling these shoes. Balling on a budget at the golden arch, a super size number two. Cash. Way that the world ain't budging. Gotta make a power move. Deep in the darkest dungeons, I'm digging up my own Hey, hey, Hands on the plow. Keep my head down. Sweat on my brow. Don't make a sound. Hey, my dudes now. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zan Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.